like there's all this changing of funds, yet no communication from my bank. So yeah, I'm square. You know, I got my money back. But there's all this changing of hands, changing of tenor. They basically have access to my account to deposit money and withdraw money. What the boombaclut fuck's going on? So I go into the bank to ask them that, like, hey, what's up? And I get this real uppity teller, right? Real uppity. You know, he's, oh, I see, I see, I see. Well, well, uh, well, um, they deposited $132. I mean, they deposited the full amount, so you're credited for it anyway. Yeah, but um, they also have access to my account. They have access to withdraw and deposit funds on my account. And I have never dealt with this company, DoorDash. I don't use them. It's some random company having access to my bank account. Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter, though. You got credited, right? You got credited. They have access to my banking information. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. It's your chuckle buddy. Guess who? Anakin James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent March 6th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. <laughs> you little knucklehead, would you knock it off? Charlie Chicken, would you knock it off, you little knucklehead? <laughs> Charlie! I can't take this chicken with me anywhere, folks. You know, he's up at the, well, I would say crack of dawn, but he's on island time. <laughs> Squawking up a blue streak on island time. You know them Jamaican roosters, right? Them Jamaican patois roosters, you know? It's like, it's almost lunchtime, you fucking idiot. What are you doing squawking? (laughs) And I know what you're thinking, you know, Jonathan, be lenient. He's just a rubber chicken after all. But no, we have some pretty strict standards. Strict standards around here at JR the P. You know, this morning, Charlie Chicken, he gets up, you know, and he's having a coffee, bumbling around, wakes me up, you know. Then he goes, Jonathan, Jonathan, can I be on the podcast? Can I be on the podcast? (sighs) Look, Charlie, Charlie Chicken, I don't know. I'm busy. I got things to do, but. Oh, please, Jonathan, please, please, please. Oh, please, Jonathan, please. Okay, Charlie, but do you promise not to squeak? Do you promise not to squawk? Do you promise? Do you promise, Charlie? He goes, oh, yes, yes, I promise. What do you know? First chance he gets. (laughs) Squawking up a blue streak. I can't take this chicken with me anywhere. Sorry about that, folks. I think he's sorry. Good boy. Anyway, this is Charlie Chicken, folks. Say hi to Charlie. 
All right, buddy, it was good seeing you again. Uh, off you go. Anyways, folks, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand on the podcast, this is the show where I bitch, whine, squawk, cabelliake, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. Yeah. Um, current events, comedic rants and raves, entertainment, politics, you know, gossip, the whole kit and caboodle, folks. You can't go wrong. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, if you're digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know what truly is? Alrighty. <laughs> yeah, it gets hot. You know? It gets hot when you be under them lights, boy, squawking up a blue streak. And if you are new to the show, I am an actor extraordinaire. Yes. Performer to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. You know? I've been traipsing across them boards, you know? Stage, independent film, theater, children's theater, you know, street performances too, you know. The whole kit and caboodle, folks. I've been humping it out, banging it out, scrounging it out now for a minute as a thespian extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> Fat lot I got to show for it. But I still got the love. And, um, you know, here we are, 2021. Everybody is facing, on a global level, challenges in their career. And one thing that I'm happy that I've stepped up to as of late, um, the old physique. Keeping um, body, soul, and mind limber, you know, the old physique. You know, I was up at the crack of dawn working out this morning, trying to watch my diet. Um, I'm a pescatarian, meaning I eat, um, you know, fish. I have dairy products. I eat dairy products like milk, cheese. From time to time, not so heavy on it, but I'm like a amalgam of a pescatarian slash vegetarian, not a vegetarian, but a pescatarian slash vegetarian. What's the other one that's a little bit much? <clears throat> They're on the spectrum of diets, you know? I'm on the spectrum of diets. Yeah, one plus one is five. One plus one is five. What is that one where it's like... You're not quite a vegetarian, but you're like a, you know, mental patient. I was going to say Vegemite. Hey, mate, a Vegemite. I'm a Vegemite. Some people are sodomites, you know. I'm a Vegemite, governor. What is it? Vegetarian, and then there's like a... Vegan. <laughs> them mum, them mama jammas. Them mother jammas. <laughs> They're out of their mind bonkers. They don't eat nothing that comes from animal product. You know, they won't sip a milk box. They won't eat a cheese string. They won't have a bowl of mac and cheese. They're on Mars, those folks, you know. They're on Mars, them morons, you know, them Vegemites, them vegans. <clears throat> so 
So I'm like an amalgam of like a vegetarian slash pescatarian. I'll eat a fish. I'll have a ham and, or no, I'll have like a tuna sandwich or something. I'll have eggs. But generally speaking, I don't eat the flesh of no animal, no pigs, no chickens, no cows, you know? You know, I don't eat no animal products aside from like fish and like dairy. So that's all a part of, um, you know, the physique of an actor and to each their own. You know, I ain't no dietitian, folks. But like that seems to work for me. I like that healthy diet, you know? It's like that Mediterranean kind of diet, you know? Even though I ain't no exactly I ain't no exact Greek goddess myself. But um, you know, I like that Mediterranean diet. So that's a part of being a uh, you know, thespian. Watching what you eat, keeping the instrument, the physique in tip top shape, you know? Not exactly easy, folks. I'd rather drown my sorrows in a bowl of gummy bears, you know? Have a couple cigarettes or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, fuck the world, you know? Gosh darn pandemic, you know? (laughs) You know? Fucking mouthful of gummy bears, you know? I could just take the low road, but no. I'm doing that vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean diet, you know, and also I've been boning up on my um, acting chops. I've been reading a book as of late, a very valuable tool in the craft of acting. Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen. Take a look at that mug. Look at that mug, folks. Uta Hagen, renowned acting coach, actress of the 20th century, you know? She fucked a black man back in, like, 1932. Paul Robinson. Paul Robeson. There's an old man called the Mississippi. That's the old man that I want to be. What does he care if the world have trouble? What does he care if he can't roam free? Old man river, that old man river. She fucked a black guy, Paul Robeson, back in 1932. Uta Hagen, take a look at that mug. But aside from her um, interracial escapades, she's a wellspring of um, knowledge. Yeah. Various techniques, concepts, in the tool belt of an actor. One thing that pops to mind um, in some of the opening passages of Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen, she mentions um, one basic differentiating, differential, one um, deciding factor in styles of acting. There is the representational versus the presentational. Now, representational acting is kind of like representing concepts, 
emotions, you know, very kind of melodramatic in a sense. Think like um, silent film era, you know, <gasps> you know, gasps, big move, big movements and gestures. And, you know, I'm mad. I furrow my brow because I'm mad. I'm happy. So I put on a stupid happy face. You know, I'm seducting. I'm seducting. You know, like very like blocky, kind of cartoonish, melodramatic style of acting, which has its place. Then there is the presentational acting, which is more grounded in you know, an inner truth, an inner emotion, a more modern approach, you know? So representational versus presentational acting, you know? They each serve their purposes. She is of the mindset, Uta Hagen, she classified herself as more of a presentational actress, meaning she looks for those inner qualities Slightly less, you know, a little bit more, um, a, a sort of realness, sort of understated, nuanced, nuanced approach to acting. Yeah. So that's very interesting concept and discussion. And also very interesting in the first passage of this, first passages of this book, um, she talks about, um, Theater, acting, and society, the societal societal impact. Because, you know, you got representational and presentational acting. You know, one is looked at as sort of, you know, representational being very blocky, showy, animated, kind of, um, you know, overstated. You know, self-aggrandizing versus presentational, which is a little bit more nuanced, grounded in a realism, an inner truth in the actor. And you kind of see that played out in various venues, right? Like Hollywood, you know, big blockbuster budget productions, inflated egos, inflated um, budgets. Money, money, money. It's kind of representational in a sense. And the value to society is sometimes hard to see. Because um, theater, an actor's work, is often done for the love rather than the money, unfortunately. And a lot of that has to do with the societal impact. Theater companies... The goal of a theater company is to entertain the public. Sometimes they miss the mark. They don't cultivate public interest. And therefore, they kind of fade off these theater companies. Whereas other societies, um, notably in the book, she mentions France, I think uh, Germany, she mentions as well. 
various other societies sort of have more of a value. And this is a this is a this book was first published in like 1973, so it's kind of a changing landscape. But there's a rich history and tradition and value in theater and the traditional actors' work in like other societies. You know what I mean? Whereas in the modern day Western society, what's the value? What's the interest aside from, you know, blockbuster, big budget productions? Like what's the value? What do people value in an actor's work? What do people care societally? People generally aren't lining up to go to their local theater to see some, you know, obscure production by some unknown playwright and unknown cast of actors. No, they want to see the next big budget blockbuster hit. Just keep turning it out. They don't care, right? Very interesting discussion because, yes, it does kind of speak to the overall lack of taste in society, but it also speaks to the lack of gumption, get up and go, innovation, and entrepreneurial spirit of the theater professional, the actor, the filmmaker, the playwright, the independent spirit. It's like, yo, we have to cultivate that interest. It's not just going to be handed to us. We have to create that value in society. Very interesting. The actor in society. So that's the wellspring of knowledge that Uta Hagen passes, passes along in this book, Respect for Acting. And there's various acting exercises, you know, and, you know, I'm just really enjoying the journey thus far, you know, boning up on my chops. Yeah, so that's new and exciting for me. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yes. Quick sip of water. Oh, yeah. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah. And again, um, shifting landscapes, challenges during pandemic. And, you know, for the next few episodes on the, on the podcast, JR the P, for the next few episodes in regards to stand-up comedy, I can tell you, I've been busting my hump, busting my chops, you know, sitting down, putting pen to paper, writing, due diligence, craftsmanship. I've been doing all that. And for the next few episodes of JR the P, I just want to speak on various concepts which are important to the stand-up comedian. And the first one I came up with is belief. Don't stop. <clears throat> Don't stop believing. A singer in a smoky room. Smell a wine and cheap perfume. It goes on and on and on and on. Strangers review. Don't stop believing. Who would ever thought? Who would ever thunk that some fucking Filipino ladyboy would wind up 
fronting uh, that band, Journey. You know, don't stop believing, folks. Who had ever thought some lowly brothel lady boy from the Philippines, the Filipino, Philippines, would like rise to like front one of the classic rock bands of, you know, Western civilization? You know? Yeah. You got to believe, folks, is the point I'm getting at. And as a stand-up comedian, like, from the very beginning, you're going to be confronted with what you believe. You got to come up with a five-minute set. Well, you have to speak about, joke about what you believe is funny. Then you have to get on a stage wherever you can. A lot of times they're little coffee houses, open mics, bars, you know, you get up there and you have to have the belief to tell jokes in front of strangers and you have to have the belief to execute that in a way in which people will well receive it. It's not always easy, folks. You know what I mean? Most people, for some reason or other, they get combative with comics. It's an easy ego trip. Because, like, for example, flamenco dancing. You ever seen somebody flamenco dance? It's not something I would ever pursue. But if you watch flamenco dancing, it looks awesome sounds awesome like a lot of times they were like tap dance they were like tap dance you know like picking any you know what do they call it like you know chitlin circuit they wear like them picking any tap dancing shoes so like they're tapping away they're dancing away it's rhythmic it sounds cool it looks cool it is flamenco dancing i don't know what the hell they're doing you know what i mean and i would never contest a flamenco dancer It's pretty fucking obvious that I don't know what the hell it is to flamenco dance. You know, that's like the average person when they see something. Oh, a guitar player. They obviously can play guitar. I can't. You know, I'm not going to contest that. Oh, a painter. They're painting. I know that I can't paint. I'm not going to contest that. But for some reason, when they see a stand-up comedian who has, as I mentioned, taken the belief to create, write jokes, get on stage, stage presence, deliver, commit, timing, delivery, cadence, concepts, wordplay, you know, clowning, gags, physicality, pantomime, all them little building blocks of a stand-up comedian performance. A lot of people, they just look at that and go, No, I'm going to contest it. Even though it's never been in my mind to be a comedian, I don't even care about comedy. All I know is there's somebody trying to do something and I feel so shitty about myself that I'm going to stand in their way. That's most people. Some people don't like other people. They want to contest you, stand against you, be a roadblock. When it's like, 
you never cared about being funny until you saw that some comedian, some person took it upon themselves to believe, reach out for their dreams. Now you're going to stand in their way. It's just a cheap, a cheap, uh, a cheap jab. Because if it was a flamenco dancer on stage or guitarist, you'd shut the fuck up because you know you can't say anything to that. You know that, oh, you don't have the skill to tap dance or flamenco dance or play guitar or paint a picture. You know you don't have that skill, so you shut the fuck up. Whereas with a comedian, people are unaware. People have an arrogance. I remember coming up as a comic... I remember my first real, everybody was always telling me I was going to be a comedian. You should be a comedian. You should be a comedian. I was like, you're barking up the wrong tree, pal. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I could be funny in a general sense, but, and I respected comics. I loved comics, but I thought being a comedian was sort of like being a, it was like a divine gift. I didn't get it. I didn't understand that you had to write jokes and work on a material work on an act and build an act. I didn't know. I thought you just were. They were a comedian. I remember people telling me I was going to be a comedian. One of the first comedians I ever heard of was Fozzie Bear. You know Fozzie Bear from the Muppets? Fozzie Bear is a stand-up comedian. And people are like, you're going to be a comedian. I was like, like Fozzie Bear? I remember I was like six years old. I don't know how old you are. But I was like, I don't know, five or six. Like Fozzie Bear? gonna be a comedian like Fozzie Bear and I had like a little Fozzie Bear doll <laughs> I had many dolls you know but um I had this Fozzie Bear doll and he had like a little bow tie and a little and a little um bowler hat you know I'm like so what what does that mean like I'm gonna be a comedian how do you how do you become a comedian do I have to wear a bow tie and a bowler hat because like when you think about it cops they wear a cop uniform Doctor wears like a, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a hospital smock with a stethoscope. Hooker wears fishnet stockings and, you know, jizz stains, whatever, right? It's the uniform. So, like, I was, like, looking at it as, like, oh, so, like, to be a comedian, I have to wear, like, a bow tie and a bowler hat, like Fozzie Bear? I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I can't do it. And then, like, I remember seeing, like, hey, you know, my wife, that's another one. You know, she tells me, come over, honey, there's nobody home. I went over, no one was home. <laughs> you know, my dentist, that's another one. I said, Doc, my teeth are turning yellow. He told me to wear a brown necktie. <laughs> you know, are you kidding? <laughs> I tell you, Johnny, some mornings I get drinking early, Johnny. <laughs> you know, my my. My father, that was another one, you know, he took me to the zoo, you know, and he said something about, hey, whatever, if they want you, they'll claim you. <laughs> if they want you, they'll claim you, you know, like his jokes were, see what I mean? His jokes were so unique and well-timed and well-written. I, I didn't have any inkling that, oh yeah, I'm going to be that. And that's about belief. You have to believe in yourself to move forward. Whereas so many people, they have like delusions where it's like, they just think that they can do it. Oh, 
All it is is just babbling into a microphone. That's all it is, folks. That's all, folks. It's not. Suffice to say. And to move forward in that career, stand-up comedian, you pretty much have to start with belief. Belief. And you have to have like a objectivity, you know? I mean, that's one thing I'm also very proud of. I mean, as confident and as competent as I feel I am, I know I'm not God's gift to comedy. I'm not the funniest motherfucker that ever lived. You know, I've shit the bed plenty of times. But generally speaking, I've proven it. I have been a paid stand-up comedian, a semi-pro, you can call me, stand-up comedian. And I know the future is wide open. And belief. Belief, belief, belief. Because you would be surprised. You would be surprised. Friends, family members, they turn on you in a dime, in a heartbeat. It's hilarious. It's like a tragic irony. My whole life, every time I turned around, you should be a stand-up comedian. You should be a stand-up comedian. I was like, I don't know what the hell you guys are getting at. You're barking up the wrong tree, folks. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm like, yeah, sure, I could be funny and ha, 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 yuck, 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 and you know, I always wanted to be an actor. I am an actor. I started off as an actor. And yeah, I could be an actor, but comedy, I don't, I mean, stand-up comic, I, I don't, that's like a divine talent. I don't know how the hell to do that. Then one day, I did a stand-up comedy set as a part of a school production in college. Then I got that inner belief. I crushed it. I killed it. I had them on their feet. I had them rolling in the aisles, folks. I couldn't believe what the hell I just did. I was like, oh, so I can do stand-up comedy. I just have to believe in myself a little bit. Hey, you know what, world? I'm going to be a comedian. Fuck you, you'll never make it. What are you, stupid, you dipshit retard? You're garbage, you're awful, you're dog dick horrible. You'll never make it. And that's been an ongoing process, folks. <laughs> the tragic irony of life. When I never even thought of being a comedian... People wouldn't shut the hell up about it. You should be a comic. You're hilarious. Jonathan's going to be a comic. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The second I flipped the switch, yeah, I do want to be a comic. You'll never make it. You have to have belief, folks. Belief. And that's relatable across um, industry, whatever you do. Yes. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah. Quick sip of water. Water break, balls. Don't mind me, balls. What I want to talk to y'all about today is bank fraud. Dum dum dum. In this day and age, people be shopping online, you know, people be, you know, paying with debit cards, electronic purchases. Them cyber bandits, you know, easy pickings, easy pluckings 
for these fucking low-life degenerates. I'm telling you, folks. I recently have been victim of bank fraud. Let me tell you about it. Now, this is dating back to uh, December 2020. And let me preface this with saying, um, I'm going to be speaking on bank fraud and some of the dealings with Toronto Metro Police. I think they're a fine service, generally speaking. I have no beefs with cops. I don't beef with cops. Generally speaking, if I have a dislike or a discomfort or a disagreement with a police officer, it's not because of, oh, I'm against cops. They're a very vital job. They protect society. I mean, who's going to protect protect us from the bad guys, you know? Come the wet-ass hour. I'm everybody's daddy. To quote Al Pacino in uh, Heat, Come the wet-ass hour. I'm everybody's daddy. Come the wet-ass hour, folks. Who are you going to call, right? Cops are very important. But I don't just blanketly respect them. You know what I mean? Like, we live in a world of cynicism motivated by self-interest, generally speaking, which isn't always a bad thing. Because as explained by the economist Walter E. Williams, sometimes private interest, or the majority of the time, private interest serves the greater good. You know, you have a police officer, they want a job, a career, they want to make a difference for themselves. So they become a police officer. In doing so, they serve their community. They protect people from the bad guys. Walter E. Williams' example was like, why do farmers farm? Because they give a shit if people eat? No, because they can make money selling their agriculture. So, that's an example of private interest. It serves the general public. But where I have beef with um, police officers is, they are human. We are all human. And under that human umbrella, it's a world of cynicism motivated by self-interest. A lot of these um, police officers, they don't particularly care about people. I mean, it's a plum position, folks. Sunshine Club, 60K plus a year. Minor celebrity. Drive around in a vehicle. Get free coffee at Tim Hortons. Wear a handgun on your hip. Wear a uniform. Oh, the dashing young officer in uniform. Oh, the strong woman officer. She's a real woman. Ah. It's very self-serving, self-interested, egotistical, power-hungry people. It's not like these altruistic people. It's not like every officer is this shining beacon of public accountability and responsibility and a higher understanding for human behavior and the enforcement of law. Some of these dickheads just want to shoot a motherfucker. 
Some of these assholes want to make 60, 70K a year driving around in a cruiser, shaking down motherfuckers for parking tickets. Hey, it's a sad reality of life. Some people are just complete assholes. And that extends to the police force. As everybody, stand-up comedians, you know, such as yours truly here, you know. Just because I get on the microphone and squawk, does it mean like, oh, every single time I open my yap, it's to make people laugh. I mean, it's all good and dandy if you guys find me funny. But like, if you ever see me in a club and I'm doing jokes, if I bomb, if I bomb, I'm not going to be like, oh, wow. Well, hopefully the next comedian will get up there and make these people laugh. That way they have a good night. Fuck these motherfuckers for eternity. I hate you. You know, Doug Stanhope, you know, well-renowned, well-renowned stand-up comedian. He made that uh, point on a video that I once saw. He goes, you know, you know, comics, you know, they make me laugh, you know. You know, comics always go, you know, you can't judge comedy. Well, you know, you, you do it pretty good, you know. I mean, I am not one of those comics who just lovey-dovey want to make people laugh. Not at all. <laughs> you know, where's my uh, vodka? You know, you see these clowns and they're up there and they're judging comedy every night, you know. It's like high school. And, you know, you know, you know, you know, it's not this altruistic thing where it's like, I do comedy to make the audience laugh. I mean, hey, I mean, I love the audience if they're laughing at me, but they ain't laughing at me. They can go fuck themselves, you know? <sighs> you know? Doug Stanhope, you know, one of my uh, uh, inspirations in comedy, definitely. He made that point, and I agree with it. So to say this, the point of me speaking about um, the police, Toronto Metro Police, is... You know, not to take a jab at them. Generally speaking, I think they do good work and they're important cops in general. It's just that we live in this cynical world where comedians are comedians sometimes to spread joy and just sometimes for the self-centered attainment for oneself. Same thing with police officers. Sometimes they're there to serve and protect. Sometimes they're just there to turn a lousy buck and collect a pension. You know what I mean? So, anyways, I was a victim of bank fraud. And I got kind of involved with the Toronto police um, in searching out my assailants. Let me tell you about it. So back in December 2020, I went to Dollarama. It's like Christmas time, right? It's like, you know, Christmas season, everybody's bustling, hustling, bustling about. I go to like the dollar store. I think I picked up like, uh, you know, some candy canes, some chocolates, you know, shit for around the house. Go to the Dollarama, load up on some junk. Then I go to Tim Hortons and I get a coffee, right? So, you know, you know, when I walked into the Tim Hortons, it was very strange as well, right? And so I was like, the lady behind the till was just so like, Hi! Welcome to see you. Glad to see you. And I'm just like, hi. Can I get a large double-double? Okay. And she was giving me like this wonderful service. I'm like, when does that ever happen at Tim Hortons? You know, usually they're kind of busy and blustered and flustered. She was all just giddy. Hi, welcome to Tim Hortons. How can I serve you? So I was like, cool. 
And then as I was leaving Tim Hortons, the coffee shop, I noticed this guy. He was just like standing there on his phone. He was like a statue. Just on his phone. Didn't move, didn't blink. Thought that was a little bit out of the ordinary. And then as I was leaving, um, I saw like uh, one of them, you know, like DoorDash, Foodora, like those food delivery services. I saw one of those guys. He was like sitting outside of the Tim Hortons, just kind of lounging and kicking back. I thought that was very odd as well. Because usually whenever you see a delivery driver, they're in a rush. I have to get from point A to point B. They're not just like lounging around, killing time, right? So I was like, hmm, it's kind of weird. Next day, I notice, bum, 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 $132.07 debited from my account by DoorDash, the food delivery app. I'm scratching my head. Was it the guy at Tim Hortons who was just standing there on his phone? Did he? Was it a setup? Was he working in conjunction with that Tim Hortons waitress? Hi, may I help you? The overly enthusiastic Tim Hortons waitress? Was she in cahoots with that dude just standing there on his cell phone? Were they all in cahoots with that guy sitting outside of um, Tim Hortons, the DoorDash delivery driver? Was it all just one big con? But also, you run the risk of um, when you make assumptions like that. I remember one time I was standing outside of a Tim Hortons, minding my own business. I was just talking to a friend. These two guys come up and they're like, hey, hey, somebody just stole my bike. Somebody just stole my bike. I was like, what? It's like, somebody just stole my bike. It was chained up to that bike meter, that bike rack. Somebody stole my bike. It was chained up to that bike rack right there where you're standing. I'm just like, why? I didn't steal your bike. And he's like looking at me. Somebody stole my bike. So let me get this straight. I stole your bike and then I came back to see if you noticed. Like, why would I, if I had, I didn't say, I didn't say this, but if I had stolen the bike as if I would just return to the spot of the crime, right? Like the bike is obviously gone. So is the thief, right? And I'm just like, I'm like, uh, I, I didn't steal your bike, buddy. And he goes, well, you know what? I don't even care. Don't care. Throws his hands up and walks off, stomps off as if, as if I did it. So that's my point. I can't make this assumption. I don't know if the Tim Hortons cashier, waitress was involved. I don't know if the guy on the cell phone was involved. I don't know if that delivery driver sitting outside the coffee shop was involved. All I know is some bozo debited my bank account for $132.07 on a DoorDash app application. DoorDash food app. It's like a delivery app.
So I call my bank up. I'm like, yo, Wagwan, holla at a player. Like, seriously, folks, what's going on here? $132.07 delivery fee debited from my bank account, and I didn't do it. They're just like, hmm, hmm. And uh, my bank's like, well, we're going to do an investigation. And um, here's a little food for thought, something kind of funny. Um, I'm speaking to like this phone agent. I'm on the phone with this phone agent. And she goes, well, here's something kind of funny. You know, um, I understand it's kind of a confusing time for you, but um, let me tell you a story. There was this one time when I was working at this new building and I would always go downstairs for coffee at this Starbucks. And, you know, I put money into the bank machine to pull out for uh, Starbucks to pay for my Starbucks. And then I started to notice that, hey, I was getting this like $20 fee debited from my um, bank account. And I called the bank and I was like, hey, what's going on? I'm getting this $20 fee debited from my bank account. Turns out that the um, the uh, ATM machine, which I was debiting from, was under a different name than the franchise Starbucks. So do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it was my fault. I made a mistake. I mean... I thought I was getting debited or wrongfully charged from some company when it turns out it was actually the Starbucks ATM. It was my fault. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, funny. Very funny, as you say. But um, that's not quite my point. I mean, I don't use DoorDash app. It's a $132 purchase. I'd never made a $132 purchase. It's not the same situation. So right off the hop, they're trying to blame it on me. But they're going to do an investigation. Okay. So, you know, in the meantime, while the investigation is underfoot, I make a phone call to the Toronto Metro Police. Now again, as a little preface. Preface. Um, Toronto Metro Police, they do a fine job. Generally speaking, I respect police officers. I just hold them to the same accountability as humankind, mankind. You know, we live in a cynical world. People are motivated by self-interest. There are a lot of cops motivated to serve their community, do a good job, be a public servant. There are a lot of police officers that are self-serving, egotistical, bozos, simply put. And I've always been treated fairly, to be honest. I remember a couple occasions back in my day living as a grimy, real-life grimy. Now the problem's behind me. But, you know, living that life as a grimy. When I was out on Skid Row, out on my ass, down to my last buck, living in a men's shelter. Lazy, low-down, shiftless, lousy, rotten, spineless, good-for-nothing, bubble gummy, lousy, rotten. You know? Just feeling like a dog's breakfast. You know, I was living that fucking low-life, homeless life. 
you dip back into the lexicon of Jonathan Ramtree on the podcast, you know, I speak on this. But anyway, I was living on Skid Row, you know, George Street, Toronto, Canada. Belly of the beast, folks. George Street, Toronto, Canada. I was living in a men's shelter. And one day, me and my buddy, this other homeless dude, you know, we're out front, you know, we're smoking a joint, we're gagging on a joint, you know. <laughs> Fuck, it would be nice to get a house, home. Fuck, it would be nice to get a room, a goddamn bed bugs. Sorry, God, I don't have to bring you into this, but, you know, I've got these bed bugs, bed bugs chomping on me every night. <sighs> what a life. Whoop, whoop, woo, woo. Five O. Wasn't quite a police cruiser. It was like a. They were like bike cops. They're on bike, you know, cycle pigs, cycle cops. You know, they're come ring ring. You know, they ring the little bicycle bell, I guess. Ring ring. Oh shit! It's the popo. All right, you got me. I ain't gonna squawk about it. You got me, officer. All right, you got me. Put that out. Huh? Throw the throw the joint on the ground, right? And they're just like you know. So what are you doing? You're a young man. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, you're following some tough times, you know. One thing leads to the other. You're homeless. I don't know. What do you want me to say? They're like, oh. Well, what's in your backpack? I'm like, books. It's actually true. I had a couple books. I was reading Dostoevsky, um, Crime and Punishment at that time, you know. Oddly enough, I was getting drunk every night reading Dostoevsky, living in a men's shelter, sleeping next to a Russian dude. Good morning, young man. You reading uh, Dostoevsky? Yeah, and is not you. What's up, buddy? I'm doing MDMA. I'm getting drunk, high, living in a men's shelter, reading Dostoevsky. Had my joke books too. I was doing like you know stand-up comedy gigs and shit. Real bohemian, you know. Um, cop asks me, "What's in your bag?" I'm like, eh, "Books." He goes, oh, "Okay." Then my other homeless buddy. You know, he gets a little bit of an attitude, you know. He's a white guy. Gets a little bit of an attitude. Oh, you fucking sweating me for, you know, in my business. Da, 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 da. Cop's like, all right, buddy, spread him. Throws the guy up against the wall, going through his bag, going through his pockets. So a lot of interaction with a police officer has to do with the tone you take. Granted, a lot of them are egotistical, ego-tripping pricks. But a lot of them, I'd probably venture the vast majority of them. You just treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect, generally speaking. So, you know, my buddy, and he was a white guy, my buddy gave him a little bit of attitude and they're going through his shit and they had it up against the wall. They're searching him, patting him down. Me, I was just kind of like, all right, officer, you got me. <laughs> Threw the joint out. No harm, no foul. And, you know, you know, plenty of times, I remember one time I got, you know, I got, you know, booked for a, uh, you know, I think they call it like a 501, a pissing in public. You know, I got booked on a 501 or 181 or 187 on a motherfucking ATM machine. I was, did a 187 on an ATM machine. I pulled my cock out. I was like pissing on an ATM machine. Drunk high out of my mind. Cop rolls up. What the fuck are you doing? I was like, Psst, mind your own business. Don't you have anything better to do? Psst. What the fuck are you doing? Oh my god, you're pissing on an ATM. Psst, what's it to you, you fucking bum? You fucking... <laughs> pissing all over an ATM. He gives me a ticket. 
you know, and you know, he could have dragged me into the precinct or whatever. And, you know, he kind of cut me slack on that one. I was pissing all over an ATM after all. Not exactly proud of it. Not exactly my finest hour. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, a link. I made a little skit, a little audio play. I made a little skit about the incident. I call it, uh, I forget what I call it, but um, I'll post a link to it. All right. Check it out. So suffice to say, I have respect for police officers. Generally speaking, any shortcoming is not so much the institution as it is the failing of general humanity. You know, some people suck. Some people are good. So anyway, back to the bank fraud. You know, here we are. I reported, I reported the incident to my banking institute. Um, they're doing an investigation. And in the meantime, I make a phone call to the Toronto, I think it was 51 division, some division. Oh, hell, I don't know. I make a call to Toronto, you know, some Toronto precinct, division, whatever. I call the Toronto police, the non-emergency line, and, you know, I, I make some inquiries. I make some inquiries as to like, what I can do as a citizen, what's going on, what, what the situation, what the dealio is with bank fraud. So we're going to cut to that, folks. This is my conversation with a police representation representative. My conversation with a police representative of Toronto Metro Police. Fifty-one front desk, PC monitor. Hello? Weirdo. On front desk, PC monitor. Hello there. Uh, Hi. Yes. How can I help you? Yes, um, I'm calling because um, I was uh, I had some fraud enacted on my bank account. Okay, let me put you through to our main non-emergency number. Just a sec. Okay, thank you. If you're calling for information about COVID-19, please visit the City of Toronto website at www.toronto.ca or call the Toronto Public Health Hotline Monday to Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. at 416-338-7600 or tell Health Ontario who are available 24-7 at 1-866-797-0000. Thank you for calling the Toronto Police Service. If this is a call for emergency, please hang up and dial 911. If you know the extension of the person you would like to reach, please dial it now. If you want to report a crime, file a report, or require any other police assistance, press zero or stay on the line and an operator will be with you shortly. If you've been involved in a motor vehicle collision in the City of Toronto, press two. If you're calling regarding city services, including animal complaints, noise complaints, fallen trees, or bylaw issues, press three. If your call is related to parking matters, press four. If you're calling regarding clearance letters, press five. Wait while I transfer your call. 
Counselors Communications. Hi there. Hi, how can I help you? Yes, um, I had some banking fraud occur on my account. Okay. I'm just calling for like some information. Um, yeah, so, um, so you have like a monetary loss then? Like you've actually lost money? Yeah, like um, it was in the amount of like $132. Um, and your financial institution's aware? You've already made them aware and stuff? Yes. Okay. So uh, what we can do is um, there's two ways that we can go ahead and report the fraud. Um, your first option, if you do have access to the internet, would be online on the Toronto Police Service website. So it's just torontopolice.on.ca. Um, and then there's a link to um, do self-report. Um, so you would just enter in all the information when the transactions occurred, um, the total uh, dollar loss that, that was uh, like taken out of your account. Um, and then what would happen is usually within 24 hours, you'll get a report number back and uh, that an officer will approve the report and let you know that it's been approved. And then you can take that to your financial institution for any sort of reimbursement or anything like that. Uh, the second option is uh, we can give you a call back and do the report with you over the phone. The callback, however, does take about three to five days. Um, and then they just take all that information over the phone with you. Okay. So it's up to you. Okay, that's that's good information. Uh, what I'm curious about is, um, so when I spoke with my bank, yeah, they told me they were going to do an investigation. And I was like, okay, but I was kind of curious to what that entailed. Okay, and, so and, I'm not, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yes, and when I asked them, they they said that they more or less are going to investigate the, the legitimacy of my claim. So they're, right. going, they're going to investigate, yeah, the legitimacy of my claim. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, because um, at first I was kind of like, I was cool with that. Like my bank said, basically they're going to check it out, and if it comes up that I'm clear, they're just going to yeah. re they're going to reimburse me. Yeah. But then I kind of got to thinking because it seemed kind of like I was just going to let it go at that. But the way they phrased it, and the more I thought of it, I was just kind of curious, like, what can I do as a citizen? Because basically it's just like they gave me this whole diatribe of like. We're in the banking business. We're not out to look for people. It's kind of like it's up to you, basically, as if like it didn't really matter that the person did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not out to find out who did it or stop people yeah. from doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I completely understand your concern. Um, and to, uh, to so, be honest, like with our reports as well, um, we basically do the reports, um, and then the report number is provided to you, and then you would provide that to your financial institution. It's really up to the financial institution to do some further investigating um, in regards to that uh, monetary loss. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, um, other than like the report that's being done, there's really nothing further on our end that uh, that gets done. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, oh no, oh no, I get it. So, okay, just so just out of curiosity, like, yeah, if um, 
like from my from my position, just a citizen. Yeah. Like, what more could I do? Like, because it's like, I'm pretty sure that they're going to reimburse me. It's pretty. Yeah. Cl- it's pretty clear that it was like some some online fraud of some sort. Yeah. But what could I do if I wanted to further, like, further look into this? Like push it further. Um, yeah. yeah. Because so I, I, would, I I personally yeah. just don't like the way, like I per like I don't know. I'm just wondering as a citizen because it's like I don't I didn't like the way they phrased it to me. They just basically said whatever. Basically, they're like we're gonna look into it. If it's clear that you didn't do it, that's cool. And if not, then just whatever basically yeah so uh yeah i i'm not really sure if there's anything else that you can do um just because uh like i mean the frequency of these types of frauds that happen um it's kind of the same thing with um like we get hundreds of reports for uh, break and enters of vehicles yeah. and um like thousands of reports of like different types of fraud um that happen all the time um yeah and it's, yeah, it's like to look into each and every individual one, um, like unless, you know, it's something massive that's happening. Um, True. Like, it, yeah, it's, it, they just, I guess, don't have like the resources to actually do that. Oh. Um, so. No, I, to- uh, I totally, yeah. underst- I totally understand. And I kind of, I kind of see that going in. I, get, yeah. I guess my question is like, what could I personally do? Like if I wanted to pursue it or push it because i understand it's like a petty theft a petty fraud i mean it's not going to be all hands on deck over this but like what could i do if i if i wanted to look into it because like they basically stole out of my account yeah you know what i mean like i mean it's it's not a huge deal but for me and the way the bank phrased it to me it's like yeah i kind of thought like they turned the tables on me like we're going to be like they told me this long winding story about how like basically when this stuff happens, sometimes it could be the, like, um, the, the person who's making the claim. It could be my fault. They're like, maybe you just did something and da da da. I'm like, Oh yeah, maybe I just made a purchase for $132 on a, on a food delivery app that I never use, you know, like, and, uh, I just want to know, like, is there anything you guys recommend for a person like me if if I wanted to pursue it my own way or not my own way but like yeah, further? Yeah. So what I would recommend is um, what I can do is I'll get up that phone call and then you can actually speak with a, an officer and they might be able to provide you with a little bit uh, more advice. Um, just because I'm I'm not a police officer, so I really I don't know if there's anything further that you can do, um, but. When you do get a like a call back from an officer, you can certainly ask them for some further advice to see if maybe they're aware of any like other avenues that you're able to explore, either with your financial institution or elsewhere. Um, like just to I guess protect yourself uh, going forward, you know, especially because buying things online is so prevalent now. So. Um, and everybody does it. So it's just that these types of frauds just happen so often. But um, yeah, 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 that that would be what I would do is I, I can get that call up and then have that officer give you a call back. And um, it does take a couple of days, but, you know, at least you'll be able to speak with them and uh, get some advice as to what you can do further if there's anything at all. 
Okay. Um, um, well, would it be better if I, if I, once I get it, once I get everything cleared with my, I can, like, is there any, is there any expiration date on these or any, well? No, not at all. No, you can report it at any point in time. So if you want to get it settled with your financial institution first, then that's completely fine. And then you can report it to us after. There's no, like, no, it's already been resolved with your financial institution. So don't bother reporting it to us. Um, so it's, it's absolutely up to you, whatever, uh, like, way you want to go. Actually, um... Actually, I'd like that. I would like to um, your first suggestion there. Yeah, if I could set up that call, just so I can know what I what I could personally do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, what's your address? Yeah. Okay. And do you have a unit or apartment number there? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And can I get your first and last name? Yeah, Jonathan J O H N. A T H A N. Perfect. And your last name? Ramcharan. R A M. Yeah. Mary. C H A R A N. All right. Perfect. And uh, just your phone number? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. And uh, what was the total amount again? You said it was $100. $132. $132. Okay, and it was um, uh, food delivery that it came through as, or? Yeah, it came through as a DoorDash food delivery app, and I don't okay. and I don't use my debit card yeah. at all for online, so. Okay, and it was your debit card and not uh, a credit card? Yeah, it was a debit card. Okay, all right, no problem. Um, so I'll set up that phone call. Um, like I said, it does take a couple of days. Um, can I, can now, I? Okay, no, go ahead. No, it's okay. You can go ahead. Yeah. Um, right now, um, I'm kind of on a strict work schedule just because of the whole pandemic. Is yeah. There, is there any way to to request? I mean, it's not an emergency whenever, obviously, whenever they have mm-hmm. the time. Could it be a weekend call? Sure, oh, yeah. A, week, can... a weekend call or after six? Yeah, so after six on the weekday or um, anytime on the weekend? Yeah. Okay, yep, that's no problem. I can definitely put that in there. Um, that'll help as well. Just because they do call, um, you know, starting anytime between 7.30 and then they work right up until 10 o'clock. So I believe they'll stop calling usually around 9. Um, but okay. But yeah, I can, I can uh, definitely put that in there. Um, anytime after 6 on the week, weekday or anytime on the weekend. Um, and then just be aware as well, they do call from an unregistered or private number, so nothing's going to show up saying um, Toronto Police Service on your uh, cell phone or your home phone there. Right. Um, so if try not to screen those types of calls, but if you do happen to miss our call, um, they're going to try a couple of times, and if they're not able to reach you, they'll leave a voicemail message with an event number. Mm-hmm. And then just give us a call back here at the communication center, and uh, we can reopen that event for you. Okay, perfect then. Okay, and then uh, that way they're aware that, and it goes up as a higher priority, so it catches their attention. And then you'll get a call back usually within like an hour or two. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, just if you haven't missed the phone call, no worries. Just give us a call back here, 
and we'll get the uh, call set back up again, okay? But I will put in there any time on the weekend or any time after 6. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, no problem. Anything else, Jonathan? No, that was a lot of help. Thank you so much. All right, no problem. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Yes, folks. So that was the conversation. They were very pleasant, polite, got some information, but also kind of disheartening and deflating because it's basically like they're swamped. They got their hands full. You know, they're over a barrel on this one, folks. You know, what do we do as a society in regards to like um, petty theft, petty altercations? You know, it's rampant. And what do you do as a citizen? And if you can relate to that, hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Have you been victim of bank fraud? What have you done? What can you do? You know, um, I guess the saving grace is crime doesn't pay. It's punishment in itself when a criminal gets let loose because eventually it's going to catch up with you. You know, crime don't pay. It's a pretty petty, pathetic lifestyle, generally speaking. But what do you do? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So, time goes on, and eventually I am vindicated. (coughs) I'm vindicated. Um, I get reimbursed. But then, as time goes on, you know, I get my reimbursement. I see it on my bank statement, you know, $132.07 credited. But then, you know, after a couple months, DoorDash, the application that withdrew from my bank account to begin with, the culprit, the company, DoorDash, whoever stole from my account to begin with through that app, DoorDash, a few months later, they make a deposit in the same amount, $132.07. What the bumba clot? What the blood clot? Right? And then my bank makes a withdrawal, you know? DoorDash credits me $132.07. My bank withdraws $132.07. So like there's all this changing of funds, yet no communication from my bank. So yeah, I'm square. You know, I got my money back. But there's all this changing of hands changing of tenor. They basically have access to my account to deposit money and withdraw money. What the boombaclot fuck's going on? So I go into the bank to ask them that, like, hey, what's up? And I get this real uppity teller, right? Real uppity. You know, he's... Oh, I see, I see, I see. Well, well, uh, I... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, they deposited $132. I mean, they deposited the full amount, so you're credited for it anyway. Yeah, but um, they also have access to my account. 
They have access to withdraw and deposit funds on my account. And I have never dealt with this company, DoorDash. I don't use them. It's some random company having access to my bank account. Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter, though. You got credited, right? You got credited. They have access to my banking information. Oh, okay, well, I see, I see, I see. Well, you know, what you might want to do in the future is just make sure to keep an eye on your um, account, you know, withdraw, deposit of funds, keep an eye on it, keep a real close watch, and really make sure to, um, you know, just be aware of who you're lending your debit card to. You know, just a little self-precaution. Just be aware of who you're lending your debit card to. Now, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was vindicated. They didn't return the funds to me because they found that I fucked up and lent my bank account. I didn't say this. I didn't say this to the guy. But it's like, they didn't vindicate me, give me a refund because, oh, our investigation showed that you lent your debit card to your cousin Bobo who went and used the DoorDash app and you know I get it he's your cousin you didn't you didn't spend the money but cousin Bobo did so because your cousin Bobo went and spent your money we're going to credit you back $132.07 it didn't happen like that they did an investigation they found out that I was robbed and then they refunded me so cut it with the Maybe you should um, pay more attention to who you lend your debit card to. And maybe you should be more watchful because, you know, as a financial institution, we might be, um, you know, prone to steal from you from time to time. So what you should do for your own interest is keep a close watch because we just might steal from you. What? So... To cap it off, I had it in my head. I had it in my head that, you know what? I'm done with this bank. I can't really fault them for the crappy customer service. That's par across, you know, industry. Again, we live in a cynical world. People motivated by self-interest. They get hired to do a job. Hey, they're only really interested in their paycheck. Fuck customer service, right? Sometimes you get a good egg, sometimes you get a bad egg. Can't really hold the bank accountable for that. You know, it's miffy, prissy, bitchy little fucking customer service rep. But, you know, the way in which they have all this changing of hands, depositing, withdrawing from my account, and there's no communication, no email, no letter of acknowledgement to the situation, I just think it's bad business bad business practice so I'm like okay I'm getting a different uh, I'm going to get a different account I'm closing this account I'm getting a different account so I go into two other banks suffice to say same indignation that's the word I want same dismissal same lackadaisical blah blah pass the buck Poor customer service. You know, I go in there to, you know, this other bank. 
Hey, good morning. I'm interested in opening an account. The teller behind the till's like, okay, well, um, as if it's a problem. As if me giving their banking institution my business is a problem. And I'm a valuable banking customer. You know, I'm a person who believes in, you know, you make your money, you save your money, you spend your money wisely. There ain't really no mystery to it. You live within your means. You know, it's like, I'm the sort of banking customer you would want, you know? Hey, I ain't rich, but like, I make my money work for me. I ain't no dummy. So it's like, that's what I mean. It's like my business is, you know, as a general member of society, I, I would say my banking business is valuable, you know? The attitude that I'm getting from these customer service people, as if it's like a problem, everybody wants to just pass the buck. So then it got me thinking like, well, I guess that's just the state of customer service. It really serves my purpose at the moment to just let it fly, let it slide. You know, like I went to several different banks and they all had a same sort of attitude. Oh my God, well, we can't do it today, but we'll we'll schedule in for as if it's a problem, as if I'm doing something wrong by wanting to open an account. So I'm like, if I go here, I go there. What does it matter? Generally speaking, this is life. This is reality. This is business. We live in a world of cynicism motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares, unfortunately. So... I think um, once, you know, a few things kind of straighten out and I get a couple, I get a little bit more footing in terms of some of the things that I'm doing, um, then I'm going to switch banks just on general principle. I mean, they really shit the bed. I don't like the way they did business with me. So I am going to change banks just on general principle. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, when it suits me, you know, I'm in the middle of some things right now, you know, work-wise, podcast-wise, just in terms of timing and fluidity. It's better for me to wait, but I am going to be changing banking institutes. Now, I don't want to give the name of my bank because what's the point? I'm not out to gain anything or destroy anyone or I would say it's pretty much from what I've been shown this is pretty much you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't when you're just a normal everyday member of the public just a you know everyday person I think a lot of times you're looked at as expendable you know what I mean like whatever we'll take your business or we'll leave your business we don't care. You call the police. Somebody stole from you? How much? $132? Who gives a shit? Everybody's getting robbed these days. Uh, take, a, take a number, buddy. We'll get to you if we can. I don't know what to tell you. You're just a one victim in a multitude of victims. For today. Tomorrow there's going to be a whole other <laughs> strata of victims. So the takeaway is like... You know, 
how I'm going to move forward in my life and in my business dealings and in my attitude and outlook. You know, do unto others as you will have done unto yourself. The golden rule, you know, that's a part of customer service, taking the time to treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, I read a very interesting book as of late, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Many tactics and techniques for dealing with business and personal relations. And one thing Dale Carnegie mentioned in that book was the idea of when you're dealing with people, you could, if you want people to be excited when they deal with you, you have to have an interest in dealing with others. You know, you got to work to have that as a part of your ethic. That when you deal with people, you deal with them fairly, consistently, and with enthusiasm across the board. Not when it's good for you, not when it's good for them, but just fairly, consistently across the board. Treat others the way you want to be treated. So like the way these people treated me was like uh, pretty flippant and dismissive. And not the Toronto Police service well in an extent they did as well because it's hilarious um when i set up the follow-up phone call from the toronto police service i asked them to phone me as you heard as you heard in the recording i asked them to phone me on a certain time which is not really much of an extension considering they are here to serve the public i'm a taxpayer you know how often do i really need the cops you know like I'm just reaching out as a citizen who was in need of their services. Simple request. Can you please phone me after hours or on the weekend? When do they phone me? <laughs> 8 a.m. Monday morning. I get this short little message from the Toronto Police Service. Obviously, they don't really give a shit. And I get it. Their hands are full. Their hands are tied. They're overwhelmed. They've got a lot to deal with. But generally speaking, you got to treat others the way you want to be treated and have a better communication. Or else you're just kind of like flapping in the breeze. You know, you're, you're just average. Just average basic bitch, basic Joe, basic bozo. You know, you act like a jerk because other people are jerks. <laughs> That's your outlook. You're a jerk because other people are jerks. <laughs> That's how you look at the world. <laughs> we have to rise above that. Treat others the way we want to be treated. Moving forward. Um, as I mentioned, as I mentioned, um, uh, working very hard. Um, Stand-up comedy, acting, you know. Busted my hump at that. I recently got a new gig, a new job, you know, a new day job, you know. That's going to help me um, bring in money for some of my endeavors as a performer, as an independent production house, Noi Productions, N-O-I, Noi Productions, which I launched as of last year, you know. I'm going to be working towards 
independently producing my own productions, busting my hump as an actor, bust, busting my hump as a stand-up comedian, and um, a lot of good things going forward. And um, as always, I extend that to my audience. I hope that's useful. I hope that's relevant to you, you know, and you can see the parallel and how, hey, you know, we're all dealing with things, bumps and grinds, different strokes for different folks, you know, roll with the punches, get the job done. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtaran, reporting live for duty on this magnificent March 6th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Bank fraud. Yeah. Doing unto others as you'll have done unto yourself. Stepping your game up. You know? Cultivating better relationships. You know? Yeah, that's the way forward. You got any questions, queries, or qualms? Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Shows available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, folks, help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. Aight. Peace. Ha 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 ha!